I noted that both 138a and 138b divide this psalm into four stanzas, although it seems to me that there are only three. We're going to consider two of them this afternoon on this Old Year's Day, and then we're going to consider the third tomorrow on New Year's Day. Again, a reminder that it's 10 o'clock. The service is at 10 o'clock. Psalm 138, before we read it, let's ask the Lord for a blessing on the reading of his word. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you have in your word said unto us that we should seek you while you are to be found, and that we should come near to you according to your grace in Jesus Christ. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For you will have compassion upon us, and you will abundantly pardon, for your thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are your ways our ways. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways, and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. And you have promised then, Lord, to speak to us through your word, and to bear forth a harvest, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return but return from there but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so you have promised will be your word that goes out from your mouth it shall not return to you empty but accomplish for accomplish uh, those things for which you have purposed it and succeed in the things for which you've sent it and so keep that promise now we pray in jesus name amen Psalm 138, it's the eight stanzas, or eight verses rather, that are on page 617. Hear the word of God. It's a psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called... You answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Again, the stanzas one through six are our text this uh, afternoon. And then tomorrow morning, the verses seven and eight. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, many, many years ago, it was said that Socrates uh, explained that the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, that may be a bit of an overstatement, uh, and philosophers have a tendency to do that, don't they? But there is still a truth there that uh, if we're not reflecting, if we're not looking back and 
studying, asking some good questions, learning from our past, then we have failed to understand the purpose of life. We have failed to understand our place within it. We have failed to understand God's hand at work all around us. The Lord has taught us and continues to teach us each and every day what it means to live within his kingdom, within his creation, within his love. And we learn about those things when we look back and reflect on them. And when we discern from the year that's been, when we discern from the life that he's given us, the lessons that he has taught us. And so we are wise to take time at the end of this year and reflect on 2023. We want to be wise. But now the question arises, how do we do that? How, how do we discern the lesson of 2023? That's no easy question, you understand, to answer. All of our experience in 2023 has been unique, has been distinctive, has been our own, and the lessons that we learn are our own as well. But how do we ensure that in our reflecting on 2023, we don't draw the wrong conclusions, maybe selfish conclusions, maybe self-centered conclusions? In order to ensure that we don't do that, what we need to do is we need to use the appropriate standard. We need to use the appropriate tools uh, that the Lord has given to us in order to discern his word and will for our lives in 2023. Just like a, a doctor, if you will, a doctor who examines the patient. They have learned, they have developed skills through their study and experience by which they can see and sense what it is that's happening to the patient. We need those same skills, we need those same tools in order to discern the message and the lesson of 2023. And only when we look to the Lord for those things, only when we ask him to equip us for that, can we be confident in our conclusions for 2023. Can we begin to focus on the appropriate things of 2023? Not only do we need a standard by which to judge the year, we need to know what we should look at. You think of the historian's task. A historian is someone that gathers together all of the events of history and puts them together in a nice package for us to study and learn from. But what are the things that the historian picks at? What are the events that are important? How does he interpret them? How does she explain them? You need to know what to focus on, what's important and what's not. I suppose everything that's ever happened in 2023 is history, but it's not all significant. How do we know what's significant? How do we know what we should focus on? How do we know what we should judge? Again, the answer comes to us only when we rightly discern the word and will of God. When we first ask God, what's important, God? What are the lessons that you are teaching us in 2023? Countless people today and tonight are going to reflect on the year that's been. But very few or far fewer than are going to reflect, far fewer will use the standard of God's word and focus on the things that God's word focuses on. That's what we want to do t this afternoon as we consider Psalm 138. We want Psalm 3138 to be that word that the Lord uses to show us what 2023 is all about and to help us to respond properly and appropriately to what he's accomplished in this past year. Now, Psalm 138 is the last of eight psalms, the last of David's psalms in the book of the Psalter, in the book of Psalms. Um, and while we're not given a, a specific occasion for this psalm, 
it would seem as though the Lord had once again delivered his servant David. And, and, and because David had again experienced God's powerful grace in his life, because he had experienced anew the, the blessing of the Lord's faithfulness to him, his eyes were opened and his heart was stirred and he came to, to praise and celebrate God for his faithfulness and love. Beginning with the, the, the glory of God's name, that's the first stanza of this song of praise. David is rejoicing in how the Lord has blessed him, David the king, and he rejoices in the first place because of the name of the Lord. The uh, opening stanza, the verses 1, 2, and 3, give personal expression to David's joy and thanksgiving to God. It, it may be, there's a hint that it may be offered when David was worshiping the Lord, when he was coming to bring the thank offering before the Lord. And at that time, then maybe he sang this psalm, maybe he recited this psalm, a psalm of wholehearted, total gratitude to God. You, you, you need to be impressed by that. As David begins this psalm, he says, I give thanks, O Lord, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. David gives himself in his entirety to God. He's so thankful for what the Lord has done. He, he doesn't just give him his voice in praise. He doesn't just give him his hands in the offering of the sacrifice. He gives his whole being, his whole heart, his whole existence. He says to the Lord, I offer myself to you promptly and sincerely in gratitude for what it is that you've done for me. So God must have done something remarkable. God, that, that's, a, that's a big response. That's the kind of response that is stirred in our hearts when God does an amazing work in our lives. Something big happened. So big that David not only personally praises the Lord, but he praises the Lord publicly. In verse 2, we read that he goes to church. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He goes to church. He goes to worship. He gathers with the people. David says, what you have done for me, Lord, it deserves the praise of a mighty host of people gathered in your presence to celebrate your grace and goodness. Your grace and goodness towards me very uniquely, very personally. Notice that in verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. David doesn't tell us exactly what the Lord did there. Was it a military victory? Was it a personal victory? Was it an illness? What is it that David was delivered from by the Lord that gave him such a praise in his mouth, such a gratitude in his heart, such a desire to see the Lord glorified? We're not told. David doesn't tell us. Only that the Lord has again done a great and glorious thing. And that great and glorious thing, says David, is not first of all that you saved me. Not even first of all that you delivered me from whatever trial I was facing. No, says David, and this is the heart of the opening stanza. He says, the reason I so praise you with my whole being, gather with your people in church, express gratitude for your grace towards me is because, Lord, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. 
David says, I understand something of how you've dealt with me in this experience, in this moment, in this historical situation, in this deliverance of your grace. David uses language taken straight out of the covenant, uses words like steadfast love and faithfulness, words that are very difficult to translate or to define very specifically, but they express this glorious relationship that God has established between himself and his people through the covenant that he signifies and seals in the Old Testament through circumcision, in the New Testament in baptism, that relationship which embraces God's people, which encourages them, strengthens and equips them. That relationship motivated the Lord to exalt his name and his word above all things. That phrase in verse 2 is very difficult to translate but it gives the impression or the sense that by keeping his promise to David, God was demonstrating to David that he is unlike any of the gods of this nation, that he, the Lord, is the covenant keeper, that he, the Lord, is the defender and the promoter of his name, that he, the Lord, is the one who declares his greatness on the earth and makes clear that he is worthy of our utter praise and surrender to him. David says, Lord, I know why you've done this. If we put all these pieces of the puzzle together, then the opening stanza of Psalm 138 teaches us, reveals to us, confronts us with a Lord who has again delivered his servant David And experiencing this grace anew, the king reflects on why God has been so good to him and concludes that it is for the sake of his covenant and for the sake of his own name that the Lord has dealt so faithfully and so wonderfully with his servant. David looks back and he thinks, why has God done this to me? Ah, I know, because he defends and glorifies his name. And therefore, David joins in the praise of that name. He worships the Lord for his faithfulness. And it is in this way that David helps us in our task of reflecting on 2023. Because David shows us how to do it. Each of us has opportunity to join in David's rejoicing joining in giving our whole being in praise to the Lord tonight in worship here and gathering together with family and friends for the very same reason that motivates David to praise God in this psalm. Oh, we're not the king of Israel, of course not. And we haven't experienced what the Lord brought into David's life, some military deliverance, some victory upon the battlefield or some such thing. But we all have reason to celebrate the very same commitment of God to the glorification of his name. I mean, think of it. We've just finished celebrating Christmas. We're looking already forward to Easter and to Good Friday and Sunday, the Resurrection Day. And those glorious events of redemption are not just historical incidents that occurred somewhere and at some time. They are the story of God's intervening in space and time to deliver you from the great enemies of shame and guilt and death itself. 
The Lord has come into our lives and he has blessed us with his grace. How many times didn't we as a congregation experience and enjoy that in this past year? Think of all of the baptisms that we witnessed. Not only those 11 children that were born. Think of the Hanemeyer family when they stood before us and we rejoiced in God's grace and goodness. Because the Lord again demonstrates his faithfulness as the young people stood before us and professed their faith and acknowledged their commitment to God. Think of how we were able to see the powerful hand of God reaching into life, snatching from the darkness of sin, breaking the chains of rebellion, and bringing forth life by his power Each Lord's Day, we were brought again to see our need of His grace through the reading of His law, through the assurance of His pardon, and through the power of His Word. Oh, we have had, at every day of this past year, opportunity to join with David and defy the gods of this age before whom we stand to declare the greatness of our God before a watching world who believes that their wicked, immoral philosophies and ideologies will bring blessing upon this life, we can stand and say, I praise the living God, for he is the covenant-keeping, powerful, blessing, highly name-exalting king. And we can take that same blessing that we've experienced congregationally into our own personal lives. Think of the children that were born, the marriages begun, the birthday celebrated, the anniversaries enjoyed. Think of how many people we've prayed for in our Sunday service, seeking the Lord's deliverance from heat, from illness, from pain, from suffering. And think about how many of them received in time good news from their doctor. Think about times of trial that have been endured when the darkness seemed so deep and yet the light shone through in the end. Indeed, as we reflect on the year that's been individually and personally and ask ourselves, how has the Lord dealt with me in 2023? Every one of us will have reason to see and to celebrate the Lord's sustaining grace, his commitment to his covenant, his exaltation of his name within our lives. And so we too ought to join with David. Indeed, here's where David's words challenge us at the end of this year. In a culture of anti-spirituality, in a world that does not believe God exists, does not bless people, does not protect or provide, It is easy for us to go through life and miss the hand of God at work in our lives, stripping from our days the Lord's favor and leaving just the bare facts of what was. But David reminds us that to worship the Lord is to worship the God who exalts his great name, It is to stand in awe of the Lord whose steadfast love and faithfulness is his great motive for blessing his people and that the manger and the cross and the empty tomb are the guarantee to us that God 
does fulfill his promises, even as he did to David, so too to us. In fact, as we reflect upon the year that's been there for, we must seek to discern the goodness of God to us. Our question needs to be, Lord, show me how your hand has guided and directed, how your name has been glorified in my life that I might offer my heart in gratitude to you for your love in Jesus Christ. Is that how we approach the end of this year? Is that how we reflect on 2023? Let's take the time now and in this evening to think about how good God has been to us and then remember that he has been good to you for the sake of his name and lift his name high in praise. Indeed, it is for the fame of the Lord that the Lord does these things. Here we have the second stanza, the verses 4, 5, and 6. Now this stanza takes us out into the wide world where the kings of the earth do something that's very unexpected. David begins by explaining how he's been blessed and how being blessed, he thanks the Lord for it. And then suddenly, all the kings of the earth are giving thanks, says David, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. It's a bit of an odd and unexpected word from David in the context of this psalm. The kings of the earth, the Assyrian kings, the Babylonian kings, the um, the Amorite kings, the Philistine kings, the kings of the earth who live in rebellion to God, who deny the claim of God upon their lives, who refuse to worship the Lord in the way that they're called to, who oppose God's people, who oppose his plan. Suddenly, these kings have joined David in worship. David, who's gone into the house of the Lord to celebrate his grace and goodness, is followed by one king after another, one ruler after another, one rebellious leader of a people who hate God after another, join David in praising God. And they join in praise, not because they've experienced the same deliverance David has. It's not that the Lord's done something for them, No, David gives us two specific reasons for why they join in the praise of his name. First, because they have heard the words of the Lord's mouth. We're not entirely sure what David means by that. Is it possible that he's referring to 2 Samuel 7 and the promise of God to David, a gospel promise that would ultimately issue in the coming of Jesus Christ, is that possibly the promise that the the words of the mouth of the Lord that they've heard stands to reason it's an understandable or it's a reasonable expectation to have meaning that the kings of the earth hear the gospel they hear that there's coming a son to sit upon the throne of Jerusalem and that the whole world will be blessed through him and hearing that they rejoice they rejoice to know that salvation's coming Salvation in a way that is utterly unique. For the second reason they join David in celebrating is not only because they hear the words of the Lord's mouth, but because they learn from those words that God is unlike any God they worship. He regards the lowly, says David, 
but the haughty he knows from afar. That's a radical word. That is a countercultural, that is a against the current of this world and life word. The world in which we live does not value the lowly. They value the haughty. 2024 is an election year south of the border. It's going to get ugly. The haughtiness, the pride, the boldness, the arrogance will be on display endlessly because that's what people like. Even in this country, that's what people like. They like politicians who look good, who sound good, who have money and prestige and charisma. It is the haughty that are valued in our culture. But our God values the lowly. He regards the lowly and the haughty he knows from afar. The Lord does not deal with people in the expected ordinary, in the way that the gods of this nation, of the nations do. He deals with his people in such a profoundly unexpected way. Thus, altogether unexpectedly, not only do the kings of the earth join David in worshiping God, they worship him for unexpected reasons. Because they've heard the gospel and because they've learned that God is unlike their gods. And that gives them joy, you understand. That fills their hearts with wonder and that draws them into the very house of God to worship. Now what's the relationship then of this second stanza, understood in this way, to the first stanza that David gives to us in this psalm? David begins with a personal expression of praise. You'd imagine that he would then turn to the congregation, to the people gathered with him in worship, and say, now join with me. Join with me in celebrating our God. But he doesn't. He looks, you might say, he takes the congregation and he looks out beyond the walls of the house of the Lord. He looks out into the nations all around, and he says, do you see that the, na- the kings of the world are going to come in and they're going to join with us in celebrating this God? Why does he think that his experience would produce so evangelistic an effect? Why is the Lord's faithfulness to David the cause of the Gentile kings turning to the Lord joining the praise of his name. This is the question we want to wrestle with. We ought to recognize that this aspect of the Lord's plan has always been central to his work. Unfortunately, we do forget this at times. But the Lord has from the very beginning been evangelistic in his focus and in his faithfulness. You think of when the Lord came to Abram. What is the promise that he gives that I will bless the world through you. You think about the way the Lord dealt with the Egyptians in the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Ten times he called them to repentance and faith. He persistently invited them to join with him in the celebration of his grace. Indeed, throughout the Old Testament, you discover this theme of winning the nations, of calling the unbeliever to repentance, of the Gentile hordes gathering into the company of God's people in praise of his name. We, we forget, unfortunately, 
this global scope of God's plan and purpose for salvation. And especially when we're studying the Old Testament, we think evangelism is a whole New Testament thing, that it was not an Old Testament thing, that the Old Testament's all about Israel. But we're wrong. The Old Testament's about God saving the world. Now why is it that in this psalm, that message suddenly bursts through? Why in this moment of David's deliverance does he think that the Gentiles are going to rush into the celebration of God's grace and goodness? Well, here's another challenge that we have, especially when we're reading the Old Testament, especially in the church and the current Christian culture in which we live that has little to do with the Old Testament and they don't really know how to interpret it. They almost invariably only look for morality. They look for examples. They look for stories that say, here's how you should live and here's what you shouldn't do. Be like Samson, but don't be like Jephthah. That's really the only way in which the Old Testament is understood in so many churches today. And if we, if we think so narrowly, we will struggle to discern the connection between the opening stanza of Psalm 138 and the second one. But if we stop for a moment and allow the grand and glorious scope of God's redeeming work to envelop us and to bring us forward, then we ask ourselves, how is the Lord's grand plan of redemption being fulfilled in the person and office of David? And now we begin to understand that David's a very unique character, isn't he? He is certainly a believer. We might say he's a Christian, but he's actually more than that, isn't he? He's in fact the Christ. He's the Messiah, isn't he? He's the anointed one of God, anointed by Samuel, as we saw, anointed for the purpose of fulfilling this office. And it is as this king that David now speaks. And then if we consider that, the answer to our question begins to present itself. David, who celebrates the Lord's faithfulness towards him, who stands before the very nations of the world and says, my God exalts his name for he has delivered me prophesies of God's faithfulness to the greater David Jesus Christ the Lord's faithfulness to this David David of Psalm 138 is the faithfulness of the Lord to the greater David his son Jesus Christ our Lord and David here pictures you might say the full redemption of what God would accomplish through his Son, a redemption that includes the nations of the world. David says, God has been good to me, not because I'm worthy, but because God's plan is to redeem for himself the entire world. And the nations will rejoice to hear this world word, will join in worshiping with me, the God who is not like the God of this age, who seeks not the strong and the successful, the powerful and the rich, but the humble and the lowly, those who are believing, who acknowledge their sin and who cry out to the Lord for mercy. And while this may seem to us maybe a strange response from these kings, maybe we wonder if David was right. How could David be right? We should in the end just look in the mirror to discover the truth of how David's words are so very prophetic because we are Gentiles. We are the fulfillment in many ways of this passage and of this second stanza. We are the beneficiaries of God's faithfulness 
to David and to David's son. The Lord who was good to his son, who died on the cross and rose again, has begun so great a work that it has gathered us in as well. We are a part of those people. We might not be the kings of the nations of the world, but we are their people. We are their their citizens and their servants who join with them in celebrating the greatness of God towards us. And this has been our experience in 2023 in our congregation, professions of faith, and the joining of our fellowship of new members who like us, love and serve the Lord, testifies that this word continues to be fulfilled in our day. That the gospel continues to capture hearts in unexpected places. Indeed, throughout the world, if we pay attention to the ministry of the gospel as it goes forth, we can't but stand amazed at how the Lord is doing such great works in places like China. You think about how the Communist Party in China has for so many decades sought to absolutely eliminate all religion and all Christianity. And how China now is one of the fastest growing Christian nations on the world. The numbers of Christians there in the many millions. And if that isn't surprising enough, the church in Europe is growing. Let that stun you for a moment. That the church in Europe that wasteland of Western civilization that has rejected God in so many ways is growing, growing in leaps and bounds because God keeps his promise, because God's plan is being fulfilled, because God's promise in Jesus Christ is yes and amen. But the heart of this stands is not just the remarkable way that the gospel continues to advance, But it truly is the remarkable God who continues to deal with the lowly, knowing the haughty from afar. We struggle at times with the narrative that we hear in our culture. We hear of men like Bill Gates and George Soros. and We think about organizations like the World Economic Forum. And we are troubled because these men, these positions and individuals seem to wield an unassailable power. We have no access to these levers and no way to alter their destructive decisions. But why are we so bothered by them? The great God in heaven regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar. Lowly here is not merely economically lowly or politically lowly, but more specifically spiritually lowly. That is, people who know their weakness and their emptiness and their sinfulness and are grieved by it. Even as the haughty here are not merely those who wield great influence in this life, But more importantly, those who defy the living God and fail to know his claim upon them. Thus, whatever else our culture might tell us, this remains true. That God blesses, guards, guides, lifts up, protects, preserves, draws to himself and provides rich grace for 
those who are humble, those who are penitent, those who are weak and acknowledge it before the face of God. And the Lord, whose great fame daily spreads like a flood across the face of this earth, defeats and destroys those who rebel against him. That is the way this world works. Whatever else the narratives of this world may say, whatever else the great thinkers of our culture may say, whatever else the political parties of our culture may say, this is more true than anything they've ever said. The Lord regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the very power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's the reality of this world. That is the truth that we can rest in every day. This is our God. And this is how he has led and guided his church in 2023. He has thwarted the haughty he has blessed the lowly, and we are proof of it every day. 2023 will have taught us many things, but let me suggest to you two key lessons to draw from Psalm 138 as you celebrate tonight. First, we worship an awesome God who is active and involved in our daily lives not because of our deserving, but because he is committed to his promises in Jesus Christ and the exaltation of his name. And second, this God is working to bring this whole world under his dominion. And he has demonstrated that in our congregation and in congregations throughout the world, and he continues to demonstrate that even to this day which makes 2023 a really good year and makes today a day worth celebrating. Let's do that in prayer, shall we pray? Gracious God and Father, what wonders is ours to be able to see the truth of your word at work within this world. As we navigate this world, it tells us to see things one way, to believe that things are in the way that the world believes them to be. But your word says, no, see the truth. See the truth of your glory and your greatness. See the truth of your power and your praise. 
see the truth of what it is that you continue to accomplish for us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, at the end of 2023 to look back and to reflect, to renew, to ask ourselves, what is it that this year taught us? And then to come to the conclusion, Lord, that you are great and greatly to be praised. And to conclude that your work continues to march ever forward to its day of consummation. And may we rejoice tonight for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.